When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Charge up for family adventures with the Land Rover range of plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. With pioneering hybrid technology, the Land Rover range offers the perfect balance of efficiency, power and performance, both on-road and off, making every journey effortlessly refined. Enjoy the road less travelled with ease. Explore the 2021 Land Rover range of plug-in hybrids at LandRover.ie. Land Rover. Above and beyond. So what was your favourite part of the holidays? Really? You sure? Okay. And, uh... Disneyland? You, uh, you liked that? When we went there? It was okay. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, Vietnam, with the snorkeling and the helicopter ride, the... No. The vast landscapes of wondrous scenery didn't do it for you. No, your favourite thing was Radio Wolfgang. Huh. What's that? The app. You really like the Radio Wolfgang app? Huh. Okay. Cool. And the hotel? No, that wasn't your favourite? Still, yeah. That's, it's just, you're only five years old. You sure Radio Wolfgang was your favourite thing? And getting ice cream. Right. The Radio Wolfgang app and ice cream. Great. Good summer. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a, a kid that's found his dad's gun. We're obsessed with resurrection because it's something we can't do. We're obsessed with the past and bringing it back because it's something we don't know. And, I mean, our imagination and our need to speculate and create, I mean, that's a driving force behind many things we do. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you, you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now...
our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Who's hungry? You can never predict in science. Uh, suddenly, things that look impossible become very easy. But it's still a matter of, you know, you can make a nuclear weapon too, but is it really a great idea? I mean, maybe the people in the Manhattan Project would have had different thoughts if they'd realized what would have happened in terms of world safety had they not done what they had done. <laughs> Dr. Grant, my dear Dr. Sattler, welcome to Jurassic Park. Welcome to Science-ish <laughs> Park. No, it didn't work as well as I was hoping it would. Welcome to Science Ish, genuinely, uh, with me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. As I'm sure you know by now, the premise of the show is that we have a look at the science contained within a piece of fiction. In this case, Jurassic Park. Chances of us not doing an episode on Jurassic Park, absolutely zero. <laughs> it's the one we've all been looking forward to. Michael. Did you enjoy Jurassic Park the first time you saw it? I absolutely loved it. That's the correct answer. <laughs> Who did not love that film? Because it just blew your mind straight away, didn't it? Because mm. for no, for nobody outside of science, you know, working scientists working with DNA, nobody had ever thought that maybe, maybe you could get a bit of dinosaur DNA. And and once you've got that premise, you've just got a film that's definitely worth seeing. It's kind of fascinating as well because I, I get the sense, and this might be wrong that the film genuinely sparked more research yeah. by paleontologists into whether or not they could do that stuff. It did. I mean, they're, they're great opportunists, obviously. <laughs> but there was so much interest in the whole thing that grant proposals started to get you know, accepted on the basis that you know, this is clearly popular public research. You know? and, uh, and there were even journals that were, I think they you know, put their, their papers out to coincide with the film coming out and things like that. So... So it's an extraordinary kind of symbiosis between the research and, and the film. It's, I think it's very cool. As far as we know, there weren't any sort of billionaire philanthropist figures like the Richard Attenborough character um, just piling money into it, though. Were no, it? sadly. Yeah. Buy up an island, get it done. Yeah, I know. These villains don't know what to do, do they? I mean, <laughs> it's clear what you should do. For anyone, I mean, I can't believe that anyone hasn't seen Jurassic Park. But just in case, uh, the premise is Richard Attenborough character very rich, buys an island, gets a load of scientists to um, bring dinosaurs back to life, sets up a theme park, um, and then with the intention of opening it to the public, invites some scientists and for some reason some kids um, along to... Uh, <laughs> just because it's more dramatic with kids. Well, it's grandchildren, it? isn't it? And Spielberg always has kids in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you've got to know yeah. that somebody survives and it's always going to be the kids. So we're going to ask three questions um, based on the, on, on the science in, in Jurassic Park. I think we have to start with the obvious one, which is, can we extract DNA from a mosquito in some amber and make dinosaurs come back to life? 
I am hoping the answer is yes, we can. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say yes. Mm. Um, this involves a, a field called ancient DNA. Oh, how'd so they come I, up with that name? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so I actually went to talk to somebody who knows about this stuff, uh, one called Elizabeth Jones from UCL. Ancient DNA is basically the the research area of extracting DNA from fossil material. So it can be um, ancient tissues or ancient muscle, um, sometimes ancient bone. Right. And and we can get this stuff. Yes, we can get DNA, but not in all cases. So ancient DNA research over the last 30 years has realized that there is an upper limit in which we can go back in the fossil record. So the idea for a long time was that we couldn't go over 100,000 years. Right. Um, but most recently, I think two years ago in 2013, some researchers were actually like pushing the limit and getting close to the million-year barrier. So they extracted... That's a huge jump. Yeah, it's a huge jump. The The jump that they made was to extract DNA from an, an ancient horse that was 700,000 years old. And... Um, they were able to do it because the fossil was so well-preserved. The material was well-preserved because it was in the permafrost, so really cold conditions, which is really good for DNA. A hundred million years ago, there were mosquitoes, just like today. And just like today, they fed on the blood of animals, even dinosaurs. Sometimes, after biting a dinosaur, the mosquito would land on the branch of a tree and get stuck in the sand. After a long time, the tree sap would get hard and become fossilized, just like a dinosaur bone, preserving the mosquito inside. This fossilized tree sap, which we call amber, waited for millions of years with the mosquito inside until Jurassic Park scientists came along. Using sophisticated techniques, they extract the preserved blood from the mosquito and... Bingo! Dino DNA. The sad answer is no, we can't go back to the time of the dinosaurs. Um, There were a lot of attempts in the 1990s that coincided with Jurassic Park, so it kind of helped to reinforce this idea that maybe it was possible. But um, over the years, it's been tried, it's been tested, and it's a no-go. Why not? Why not? Um, So... I don't want to sound like a petulant child, but really. (laughs) No, it's a good question. The key to DNA preservation is great conditions. So like I mentioned, um, cold environment is great for DNA. And for a while, ancient DNA researchers thought that tree sap that's later encased into a hardened amber shell would be a great resource to actually preserve insects. But a number of studies tried it again and again and again, and they didn't get the DNA they were looking for. So it debunked the whole dino DNA thing. So, all right, so we can't get dino DNA. I'm disappointed, but I'll live with that. So what can we do? Well, I think what the media has picked up on the most is now that dino DNA has been debunked, they've picked up the next best candidate, and that is the woolly mammoth. Yeah. So there has been DNA extracted and even partial and whole genomes of the woolly mammoth, and that to the media is bringing us a step closer to this idea that maybe if we can't resurrect dinosaurs, we can at least resurrect mammoths. 
Uh, we are not working on T-Rex uh, or any um, carnivorous animal <laughs> or any human being, ancient human beings. We are working on mammoths. There's a scientist at Harvard named George Church who's been playing around with some of the technologies. And the technology is totally essential to any kind of de-extinction. Or at least taking woolly mammoth genes and introducing them into elephants and testing testing ideas that come out of the genome sequence rather than just staring at it and saying, oh, we think this is going on. We can test them in cells and in tissues. And if, if that looks interesting and safe and effective, then we can move it into, move it into actual full-grown elephants. We've already made 15 changes in elephant genome using the CRISPR technology, um, and, those, and we're testing those out for their physiological effects in organ culture. Um, so we could be within a year or two before you know, making a decision as to whether we want to test it in animals. So hang on, is this is this Don saying that at some point we might bring back the woolly mammoth? Yes, he is. Brilliant. He is a hero of mine, George mm-hmm. Church, and uh, he's visionary. So you know, he, he's he's one of the ones who says, "Come on, let's let's see what we can do." And he t- he talks there about at the end about like making a decision. For me, the decision's already made. You, you go ahead, George. You go ahead. I, I think George knows in his own mind as well. <laughs> he's gonna give it a go. <laughs> But it's amazing, this, this technology. So you mentioned this CRISPR technology. Uh-huh. And it's basically gene engineering using the tools from a bacterium. So when a bacteria is, bacterium is attacked by a virus, it has these uh, parts of its genome that allow it to uh, make proteins that cut out the virus from its own genome. So what they've done is they've taken these CRISPR um, genome engineering tools and, and borrowed them from a bacteria. And now they can go into any kind of DNA and just chop out the bits that they want and also use it to reinsert the bits that they, you know, or to put in bits that they, they do want in there. So you just put it all in a pot and it all works. It's an amazing thing. <laughs> I'm slightly questioning, it's, you it's, just put it all in a pot and it all works. Well, it's, it's magic, Rick. I feel like George might have something to say about that. <laughs> You're disrespecting what I do a little bit. All right, all right, all right. It is incredible technology. And, and it's you know, allowing us to edit the human genome as well. So we're already sort of on this stuff. And, and so is, is the idea then that they would try and uh, recreate a woolly mammoth or is it more about let's see if we can sort of help existing elephants by what we're finding out from the woolly mammoth i'm not sure george is all about helping existing elephants i think what he's doing at the moment is really trying to see how far you can push this technology Um, and so they've got hemoglobin and fat and uh, hair development cells and, and and parts of the dna associated with that but they haven't got a mammoth sort of full mammoth genome to put them in so they're putting them into elephants so they okay. so they just you know literally got something in a test tube that's you know that's got some cells from an elephant and they're looking at the DNA and they're messing about with the DNA and, and putting in mammoth stuff in there and seeing what they can do and they're going to make you know fat hairy elephants if you like yeah I I do like <laughs> <laughs> so they're not you know the no elephants are being harmed at this at this point or n- never will be either if George has his way. Mm. But no, yeah, fat hairy <laughs> elephants but, <laughs> get it. But though. you know he, what they're finding is they can do this stuff, and as they get better and better at it, as he says, you know there'll be a decision to make in a couple of years' time about okay, you know, are we going to do it? Are we going to actually, you know, basically turn an elephant into a woolly mammoth? You know, grow an embryo that is 
sort of a hybrid of a woolly mammoth and an elephant and let it be born and see how it turns out. What's, what's your gut feeling then? Do you think it will happen? I think it will happen. Whether it should or not is a different thing. And so is uh, George the only person who's doing this? I wish he were, <laughs> unfortunately. And this is one I'm not very happy about. There's a collaboration between basically some South Korean and some Russian researchers that's led by... This sounds a lot more like <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> you know where this one's going. There's <laughs> yeah, no do, decision yeah. to make whatsoever. <laughs> um, so the project is led by a guy called Huang Wu-suk, who is a Korean cloning scientist who made the news a few years ago uh, where he was involved in highly fraudulent research on human stem cells. And he basically made up a load of stuff, but subsequent investigations showed that he'd sort of coerced his lab assistants into donating their eggs. And it was all very messy and Mm. very nasty. But it's okay because he's back now doing mammoths. (laughs) (laughs) But presumably we don't know how he's getting on. No, it's very much under wraps at the moment. We know sort of vaguely what area they're doing, what what they're working on. But they're not really coming out with... Are know, they using the same techniques? So It will be. Bacterium yeah. and, and, and yeah, insertion yeah, and cutting yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it's cutting-edge stuff, and they've got mm. access to it all. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how far they get before George Church makes his decision about whether to do it or not. The thing is, I mean, they might actually not get as far as, as George Church's because they're, they're not doing the hybrid thing. So, so they're actually going to try and extract DNA properly from woolly mammoth legs. But they, they good luck, guys. They won't be asking any ethical questions. No. That's my guess. <laughs> don't know why I'm saying good luck. It feels <laughs> unlikely that they're listening. <laughs> but if you are, hi. Um, but it does sort of lead on to our second question, which I think has to be, if we can bring back extinct animals, should we? And we spoke to Queen Mary University paleontologist Dr. David Hone about this. You know, with my scientist hat on, I'm absolutely fascinated by the possibility and, you know, the idea of an actual, you know, extinct animal. Not just something recently extinct, but something that's been gone for, you know, tens of thousands of years, you know, before modern science is phenomenal. I I would love to see it. I would love to see what we could learn from that because the DNA doesn't tell you everything and how that works and the animal that it would produce at the other end. You'd actually learn, you know, a very considerable amount from that as well. Um, Having said that, though, I... I do not think we should. For for a start, you know, our resources are limited. Um, you know, something like a woolly mammoth, you'd virtually have to bring it back with an elephant as a surrogate. Well, we're short enough of elephants as it is. If we have the technology to do uh, surrogate births with elephants, we should probably be using it to bring elephants back rather than start faffing around with mammoths and trying to restore them. The, the technological process and the, the part of how we'd have to do that would almost certainly result in huge, huge numbers of failed efforts. You know, I, I think that is something we shouldn't even really discuss because I think we're going to cause a considerable amount of animal suffering unless somehow we can perfect it first time and that's just not going to happen. <laughs> Gee, the lack of humility before nature that's being displayed here... Um... Staggers. Well, thank you, Dr. Malcolm, but I think things are a little bit different than you and I have feared. Yeah, I know. They're a lot worse. So I'm Professor Alex Greenwood. I'm the head of the Department of Wildlife Diseases at the Leibniz Institute for Zoo and Wildlife Research in Berlin, Germany. Just conceptually, if you say that, well, we'll just drive everything to extinction and not care about what we do in this world... And we'll just clone them back when when it suits us. That's that to me is sort of a, a lazy conservationism because you're not addressing the problems 
in society and in the world and in the environments that these animals live that are causing them to become extinct. I'm not sure that it's helpful if people think, well, we can just de-extinct everything after we knock them off. You can just say we can live any way we want, treat the world very poorly, and we'll just use science to, to save ourselves. I make that equivalent of global warming. Some who admit that there's global warming but don't want to do anything about it work very much under the assumption that, well, technology will figure it out and we'll save ourselves. But that's a pretty big bet. <laughs> because if it doesn't pan out, then, <laughs> then what? Bad news. That's what. Um, I get his point. He totally is, there, he's actually. kind of the voice of reason, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. I feel quite bad now about all the gung-ho kind of mm. let's just do it thing. Because you, you you know that that is exactly what would happen. If scientists said, you know what, we can basically bring back anything, then it would become doubly hard to convince people that there's a problem with poaching or you know using animal parts for medicine and all that kind of stuff. Like, well, it doesn't yeah. really matter because we can just make some more. Yeah. Let's go and harpoon some whales. <laughs> See, we've <laughs> been here before, haven't we? It doesn't yeah. need biotechnology as such. It's just mm. about kind of good stewardship of the planet, as it were. Yeah, yeah. You know, to, to look on the positive side, you know, it's not just about mammoths. So, so we've already got other sort of projects that are going on to effectively de-extinct things. So there's a there's a project to to bring the passenger pigeon back, oh, which. Yeah. Probably isn't going to be make a Spielberg movie, I would have thought. No. But um, that went extinct in 1914, basically due to our hunting. Yeah. And, uh, and they're, they're using the band-tailed pigeon, or taking its genome, and inserting some of the, the sort of stuff from the passenger pigeon, the sequences of DNA, mm. that will kind of produce something that's, a, again, a sort of hybrid. Mm. But it will be you know, almost as if we brought it back from the dead. As someone who lives in London, I don't feel like people are <laughs> crying out for more pigeons. <laughs> like, I, I feel sad for the passenger pigeon, but I don't, I don't need them in my life, <laughs> in my world. <laughs> you don't need mammoths either, Rick, do you? Well, Let's that's where you're wrong. <laughs> I would love to ride a mammoth to work. Oh, okay. I say that like I've got a job. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. I had work to go to, I would ride a mammoth. If I had a reason to get out of bed in the morning, yeah. a mammoth would be it. <laughs> uh, the other one is is the Pyrenean ibex. Oh, so, I like that. So that went the ext- ibex is ibex. a beautiful creature. Well, this one went extinct yeah. in two thousand. Uh, but before it went extinct, they got the last one, basically, and took some skin cells from it and froze them. Uh, and it's lucky that they did. I shouldn't laugh at this, but... No. Um, they didn't protect the ibex, and it was killed by a falling tree. Right. <laughs> I mean, that is unlucky, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, they can be prescient in so many ways, yeah. but no, nobody thought about the tree that was looking a bit dodgy. That's the very definition of died of natural causes, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but using those frozen skin samples, they... they, they created a clone, and they brought it back. Unfortunately, it died very quickly after birth. But that was technically the first ever successful de-extinction because it didn't involve a hybrid or anything. It was just the pure thing, but it's not terribly successful. I hope they haven't used all the cells. (laughs) They're like, should we have another go? Ah, about that. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's a good point. There is an issue, isn't there, about how you choose. I mean, literally thousands of species of animal go extinct every every year yeah how do you choose which ones well which ones look back? most cuddly yeah you go for the mega the impressive sort it's of it's the problem isn't it it's like you? the panda you yeah. know there's all this effort to go into the you know goes into saving and conserving pandas 
and there's you know mm. reptiles and and god knows what else that just doesn't excite you in the same way yeah and they just disappear and that is a problem for biodiversity yeah because you could use the panda money to save a lot more species but everyone wants a panda it was not everyone's going to get a panda I mean that's not the sort of the, <laughs> that's not the prize that everyone's aiming for. Like, well, pan- if this panda project goes well, I'm hoping that everyone in the UK will have a pet one. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing, though? It, it would be amazing. I mean, you could keep it in the same cage as your woolly mammoth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously the the picture is panda riding mammoth, <laughs> uh, pulling on a little cart with you that, in the back. That would break the internet. <laughs> This species of veriform has been extinct since the Cretaceous period. I mean, this thing is a manifest thing. Why? Our final question, and uh, obviously the caveat is, doesn't look like we're bringing back dinosaurs anytime soon. But if we did work out a way to do it, what would life be like? Could humans and dinosaurs coexist together? Or, or, or anything could any of the the sort of flora and fauna today coexist with dinosaurs um and we went on a little uh little morning trip to london's natural history museum to talk to professor paul barrett i forgot his name then <laughs> we're looking at a diplodocus that is um, how long is that? About I'm going to embarrass it. Thirty meters long? Is it? Is it's it thirty meters big, long? It's bigger than you, isn't it? Yeah, it's bigger than me. Twenty over twenty-five meters. Yeah. Can you imagine that? You, you're walking down a kind of green valley, and you turn the corner, and there's just this thing grazing. It'd be an amazing sight, wouldn't it? It's not well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen gonna, I've seen the film. Gonna... Like it is. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> it's amazing. And this guy isn't worrying me so much because he's um, he's obviously only eating plants isn't he yeah but I imagine he's clumsy I mean you're going to have accidents with these guys Uh, yeah okay so you don't get too close Mm. but you know you'd quite happily coexist I guess the other thing is are you sort of just plucking dinosaurs at random from a sort of span of about 200 million years or are you going right we're going to recreate this specific Bit. So we're going to go right. Seventy million years. That's where we're going to take them all from. Because well, you don't I want to just have a, a mish. Uh, personally, I'd like a bit of rigor here. I'm, <laughs> I'd like to just take. You're clearly it. a purist. Yeah, I am. <laughs> but I would say that you know you are just going to take the ones that you fancy. You'll take the you? best ones. Yeah, yeah. You're going to you're basically going to going to handpick the dinosaurs that are somehow appealing, which are probably yeah. the ones that have been made appealing through like popular culture things. Mm. I so guess. you're you're getting this guy, you're getting a T-Rex, you're getting a Stegosaurus, you're getting a Triceratops. <laughs> you basically you're yeah, getting you some pterodactyls. It's like the cereal box set. Raptors. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you are, with respect, such a basic bitch. <laughs> 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 I 
okay, I'm not complicated. So route one. <laughs> As a starting point, you know. I think this is the thing that, that you know Steven Spielberg has done to us is kind of reduced our appreciation of dinosaurs to about mm. five or six species. Really. Yeah. Right. Let's wander to uh, another dinosaur. <laughs> We've exhausted. It, it worries me that actually, if we bring this back from the dead, you know, we'll have exhausted the possibilities in about ten minutes. Yeah. He's just like mm, bored. Yeah, right, bored. Done that. So, Professor Paul, um, do you remember the first time that you watched Jurassic Park, and what did you think of it? I do. I was actually an undergraduate at university at the time, and I got tickets in the front row for the Empire in Leicester Square. And I remember being blown away uh, when I actually went to see it. And I also, in my first job at the Museum to Jurassic Park, as I came in to help out with all of the extra dinosaur interest uh, that was generated that summer. So I have very fond memories of that summer when it came out. Which, Which bits had the most artistic license. Actually, they did a lot of good work in that initial movie. They actually spoke to a lot of different dinosaur specialists around the world and got their opinions on what the latest findings were and what dinosaurs looked like and how they would have behaved. Probably the single biggest sets of things were to do with the velociraptors. And the velociraptors in particular were taken to their extremes, if you like, to make them nastier villains and make them a lot more sinister. And in particular, things to do with their intelligence and their size. So just to give you an idea, just here in front of me, this is a cast of the original skull of Velociraptor, which is in the collections of the American Museum in New York. And you can see it's pretty small. It fits comfortably in the palm of my hand. Yeah. Uh, and this is from an animal that would have only been a couple of metres long when it was alive and weighed not much more than your average kind of family dog. So not particularly terrifying, gigantic villain. So for Jurassic Park, they actually souped it up. They pimped up Velociraptor uh-huh. to make it a much bigger animal uh, that's actually the same size as another related animal called Deinolicus, which is well known from slightly earlier deposits in the USA. Mm. So they basically called it that, but actually had a different animal Uh, taking its place to make it bigger and scarier looking and Velociraptor would have been pretty nasty you can see even from the cast these very sharp little teeth this isn't something you'd really wanted to annoy or bump into in a dark alleyway Uh, but nevertheless it's not something that necessarily is visually as frightening Mm. as something that's just a bit bigger in size so I mean you talked about sort of knowledge moving on how much have we moved on since the days of Jurassic Park I mean do we know dinosaurs much better now than than when Spielberg was making that movie? Quite a bit, so we're now already more than 20 years since the original movie. Uh, Some of the things still hold up very well about the original movie in terms of the way the animals look or how they move around. Look at those arms. Is that male or female? Oh, that's that's a sheep. How fast could it run? I know that. I don't know. I mean, pretty fast. Yeah. Because, you know, it was almost outrunning that car, wasn't it? In, yeah, in it was. Fall, yeah, so. it was doing... And the car's probably doing about yeah, 30, 40. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that's scientifically accurate. <laughs> well, that's a good fact. If T-Rex tripped up when running, the fall probably would have killed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a useful tip for when we bring them back, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Tripwise. Tripwise everywhere. Yeah, that's a problem with having tiny arms. No, that's a horrible face plant. (laughs) (laughs) So why didn't they do that in the film then? Just trip them up? I guess it makes for a slightly less dramatic sequence. (laughs) (laughs) There are some big step changes that have happened since, probably the most important of which is the discovery that dinosaurs have feathers. Mm. And that's something that was found in 1995, 1996, so only a few years after the initial movie actually came out. How sure of that are we? 
We're very sure of that for a number of these dinosaurs. So there's an amazing deposit in a place in China called Liaoning, which has yielded a lot of fossils of an early Cretaceous age, about 125 million years old. And this is an old volcanic deposit with lake sediment. And this weird combination of sediments has trapped a whole ecosystem in amazing detail, including not only the bones, but also the outlines of their soft tissues. So do you think that in 10 years' time, the sort of public perception of dinosaurs will be of them being feathered? Because at the moment, I think that the, everyone assumes that they're kind of reptilian scaly looking maybe with some some stripes even with that evidence Uh, and they'd be right for about half the dinosaurs that we know about so a number of dinosaurs are still solidly scaly still very reptilian looking it's very specifically for the meat-eating dinosaurs that are on the evolutionary line that leads ultimately to birds that we see these but even there there's some surprises we might expect for example to see feathers in tyrannosaurus rex which is great as far as I'm concerned because I work mainly on plant-eating dinosaurs. I hate T-Rex. It's, <laughs> uh, it would have eaten a lot of the animals that I'm interested in. Uh, I think it's overhyped, <laughs> overhyped animal that I want nothing to do with. And the idea that it reduces its macho image somewhat by taking away scales and putting feathers all over it and making it cheap brings me a lot so of joy. So you're promoting that, basically. I'm very happy to promote the uh, dematerialization oh, no, of T-Rex. It looks incredibly camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like with those arms. Those little arms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It would be very tweety. You could colour it whatever colour you wanted. A re- nice feather boa around the neck, maybe. <laughs> it'd be a very nice way of taking away some of that. Camarasaurus is... Say that again. Camarasaurus. Camarasaurus. That is an impressive. That is an absolute unit, isn't it? Yeah. Chambered lizard. 25 tonne body. I am feeling the temptation to ride this mother. You know? That would be big business, wouldn't it? I mean, this is the problem, isn't it? Is that, you know, you see these things and you start to monetize them effectively. So if we brought this back. You know, you, so you go around the world and you can go on camel rides or donkey rides if you're in Blackpool. But, you know, riding dinosaurs, yeah, that's what would happen. That's what, that's what would pay for them to come back, mm. effectively, is dinosaur rides. And then I'd just weep for the future of humanity. Yeah, is that what we do? Yeah, <laughs> no, I wouldn't do it. I'm not, what you I'm just do. Said I would yeah. do it. <laughs> it's your idea, and it's a good idea. Would you want to bring dinosaurs back? You're a big fan of dinosaurs, clearly. Well, certain dinosaurs. Certain yeah, dinosaurs. Certain dinosaurs. Yeah. Not, definitely not wouldn't bring a T-Rex back. Um, yes and no. I mean, we already have dinosaurs with us today. In fact, there are more dinosaurs alive today than there ever were in the past when we think about things like T-Rex and Triceratops. Yeah, Birds are fact. dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, so, and there are 10,000-odd species of living bird. The one problem with birds is, as from a dinosaur expert point of view, is... Uh, when you take their clothes off, as it were, you take all the feathers off and all the behaviours off, they all look the same to me. Um, so we have, <laughs> one, we, have one kind, people, we have one kind of dinosaur type alive today. The one feature they have in common is that most of them fly, most of them are pretty small. Mm. So they're very interesting. I like bird spotting. I wouldn't want to upset any twitches that were listening, but as far as dinosaurs are concerned, they're all the same. But when right. we go back in time, we have not only flying dinosaurs, birds, but we also have a bunch of other ones. We have some the biggest terrestrial animals that ever lived in terms of things like Diplodocus and its relatives, the biggest terrestrial carnivores that ever lived in terms of things like T-Rex and other large meat-eaters like Spinosaurus. And they basically occupied this huge size range, everything from a bee hummingbird up into the largest sauropod, which weighs something like 70 tonnes. So aside from the fact that they're still with us today, it would be nice in some ways to see some of these other types of dinosaurs around. Oh, an iguanodon. 
I remember that from one of my dinosaur books when I was a kid. See, that's scary, isn't it? That's yeah. pretty big. He's a really sort of classic for me. Classic dinosaur. <laughs> it's exactly classic, what you want. It's yeah. a classic. I might be tempted to bring back something small uh, just for fun because it would be neat as to a have. Pet. As a pet, basically, yeah. So like, some of them very cute. I think anything with teeth that was bigger than you, that would be a bad idea in general for all sorts of reasons. Not necessarily for Jurassic Park taking over the world kind of reasons, but I still think there'd be some challenges. You're going for a walk over the South Downs or something and suddenly you encounter a pack of velociraptors. might not be such a good idea. It would solve yeah. the rambler problem, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it would is also... there a rambler problem in your mind, Michael? <laughs> South Downs, there is. Well, you probably also wouldn't need to worry about things like badger calling or deer calling. No, no. But so, we were saying earlier that lots of people have a phobia of birds, don't they? I mean, they do. You know, really, really strong sort of primal response to that kind of that kind of body shape or something. Actually, my my mother's one of those people. She has a, a terrific phobia of feathers. And my sister and I, when we were kids, basically got used as kind of um, buffers and Keeps scare off. <laughs> exactly, and, and anything that came within a five meter radius had to be chased off. And, and she's still like that today. Um, so yeah, there is. I don't think that's a race memory of being terrified of velociraptors, unfortunately. Um, but it is still. It's. I still think you could make uh, a feathered velociraptor just as scary as a scaly one. It still has some nasty teeth at the business end and some really nasty claws on its feet. And it wouldn't really care if it was feathered or scaly as it was yeah. disemboweling you. A bird so, with no. teeth. I mean, that's scary, isn't it? Yeah. And actually, some, some birds used to have teeth. They've lost them during yeah. their evolutionary history. But they actually still have the ability to make them. You can make birds make teeth by playing with their genetics just a little bit. Is that what um, you do at the weekend? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it's a hobby. Um, just to torment your mum. <laughs> well, that's fine. But how do you like it with teeth? Timmy, what is it? actually do these things with living birds and make them more dinosaur-like and there are actually a couple of projects at the moment headed by colleagues of mine in the states that are trying to backbreed if you like uh, living birds to try and find out how they make if you like the attributes that make them birdy by turning off the genes that they have and seeing what happens to their embryos and if they become more dinosaur-like again and they're already getting some success in that respect so they've done some genetic tinkering with chicken embryos to make their skulls look a little bit more velociraptor-like so you can actually grow, regrow wow. teeth in these things and get rid of the beak and actually make up a skull. So these are only things you see in the embryo. Um, yeah. But we haven't got any running around. We don't have any running around. It would be very unethical to do yeah. so. Yeah. Um, so these are animals Someone that has, are essentially... Someone's done it. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> these, are, these are animals yeah. that are essentially... No, I don't let them run around here. Uh, don't like having my ankles nipped. Heavily sedated. <laughs> uh, but these are, these are things that actually they can see how the genes that actually switch these features on and off are starting to work. And although this sounds very pie-in-the-sky kind of mad scientist territory, uh, some of these genes are actually ones triggering uh, cancers in humans and other animals. So it actually does have a direct medical benefit in terms of some of those genes are actually the ones responsible for some nasty uh, cancers and disorders in humans. So it might end up having some proper medical benefit wow. too. Really uniform direction changes, just like a flock of birds evading a predator. They're, uh, they're flocking this way. I'm gonna go. 
the birds the same way at the end. Yes. What he's talking about there is trying to sort of reverse engineer birds back into dinosaurs. Insane. That is what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's fantastic. We got quite excited then, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. <laughs> Just giggling like schoolboys. That's a little bit embarrassing. Uh-huh. Um, no, that's an amazing thing, though. You yeah. know, the idea of just being able to sort of wind back the clock. You tinker with the DNA, put teeth in, take the beak out. That's, that, you know, who would have thought that could become possible? You know, if you can do it, and if you can go, you know, gradually make these genetic changes to the point where, you, you know, what was once a chicken is now some kind of, you know, velociraptor, even if it's chicken size, that's good enough for me. Hmm. Well, basically, a a chicken with teeth, I'll take. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, as will Professor Paul's (laughs) mum. She'd love that. Uh, So let's let's review uh, the three questions that we asked then. The first one, can we extract DNA from a mosquito in amber and bring dinosaurs back to life? No. No, that is a no. Which that, is just gutting from mm, the outset, isn't it? It is. And 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 the reason for that is basically DNA can't it survive degrades, that, yeah, that long. Yeah, you need to, to keep it in perfect conditions. Somebody should have thought of that at the time. Yeah, yeah. Stupid dinosaurs. And the second question was, if we can bring back extinct animals, should we? And I suppose the, the conclusion we were coming to was... Yeah, maybe for things that have been made extinct by human activity. Yeah, I mean recently because there's the environment for them, there's a habitat. You know, they fit right into the sort of ecosystem, so that's all right. Sort of alleviate our guilt. <laughs> it makes us feel a bit better. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I still think you know. I know people were sort of saying that you shouldn't do anything with teeth. Effectively, though, that was the <laughs> message that came through loud and clear. Yeah, um, but then I, Paul hated Professor Paul hates the T Rex. Come on, yeah, Paul. yeah, it's, it's not not his favourite dinosaur, is no. it? But I, I think that idea and George Church said no carnivores, and I just think, oh come on, you're not. When it comes down to it, and you've got your you know Diplodocus back, and you've got mm. a bit of a Stegosaurus going on, you're not going to like twiddle your thumbs and say no, I'm not going to do it. Well, it's a big disappointment for the public as well because you're like, yeah. right, we've got dinosaurs back, and everyone's going to be expecting. A T-Rex, yeah, basically. Yeah. And then you, you wheel out a sort of a little Allosaurus or something. I mean... No, everyone's just going to boo, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> and the last thing we want is a situation where the public are booing dinosaurs. <laughs> I won't stand for that. <laughs> that just feels wrong. The funny thing is that even though everybody's seen this film, they will all want to see a T-Rex brought back to life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know... To hell with the consequences. Yeah, right. <laughs> to hell with the fact it's going to eat me. What a way to die. <laughs> it's true, though. Um, third, The third and final question was, um, could we coexist? We're sort of covering this now. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Depends what we... I'm, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> Not for very long. Um, probably... Prob- I don't know. Probably not. But it's more about the environment, isn't it? Like The yeah, environment I mean, now is so different. There won't be food for, for these things if you were to bring back the big sort of vegetarian dinosaurs they're not you know i think scientists call them herbivores but i'll call them vegetarians <laughs> the big vegetarian dinosaurs <laughs> were there any do you know were there any vegan dinosaurs <laughs> okay so we're not going to be living with dinosaurs anytime soon but we might be living with uh, toothed chickens for medical science purposes for medical science purposes only <laughs>
And you wouldn't want to run across that, would you? No, because that is going to have a poppy. Yeah, I mean, people worry about tigers or bears or whatever else. That's, mm. yeah, that's a whole other level. Yeah. Yeah, that's taking you down with ease. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, me, maybe not you. It's true. I can handle myself. Let's <laughs> <laughs> pull its back legs apart. <laughs> Go for that. Is that his sort of wishbone at the back? <laughs> Go I'm for not, that. Do they have wishbones? Well, this sort of... See what I mean? Like, like oh, all yeah. of them have that. Yeah. I guess it's the wishbone equivalent. I have to defer to your great judgment on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going from Turkey to Christmas. <laughs> Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producers were Hannah Walker-Brown and Max Sanderson. This episode featured Elizabeth Jones, Professor Alex Greenwood, Dr. David Hone, and Professor Paul Barrett. The executive producers were Ellie DiMartino and Harry Watson. Tap, 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 tap. Fucking nailed it. (laughs) Your computer makes thousands of connections every day. Just like the one it's making now to deliver you your audio content. Why not unlock some little connections of your own? Pick up a box of Cadbury Heroes today, stay at home and share them with your family or friends. Sometimes it's the little things that bring us together. 